This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. How are you tonight? <laughs> are you glad to be in church tonight? Thanks for coming out. I know the weather has been a little bit offish, but um, you know, what can we do? Nothing really. We can just come to church. We say, Lord, please. Let it be warm when it rains, we pray. Don't let it be cold when it rains. How many of you have heard of, well, let me first thank Apostle Theo and Pastor Bev for the wonderful privilege that I have to share the Word with you tonight. You know that the Word is living. I love the, and powerful, and it has the ability to change lives. And the illustration that is so powerful is if you walk into a restaurant the next time you walk in there, carry a Bible with you and just have a look at what the people, their reactions will be when you walk into a restaurant simply uh, with a Bible in your hand. It has a different effect to a magazine um, or, or any other book. It's, it really is alive and being preserved by God supernaturally. So now my question that I started with is, how many of you have heard of the landfill harmonic Orchestra. Let me see. Let me see by a show of hands who's heard of the Landfill Harmonic Orchestra. One hand over there, two hands. Okay, well, that's just marvelous. The Landfill Harmonic Orchestra is a very unique orchestra. It is uh, the reason why it's called the Landfill Harmonic Orchestra is because it comes from what it was birthed in Paraguay in a small little village that was or is located right next to a rubbish dump. So it's an impoverished little village located right next to the rubbish dump, which also is known as a landfill. And so there was a gentleman by the name of Fabio Chavez who went to this village and he went there with the purpose of starting a music school. And within a very short space of time, he sat with a problem. He had more students than he had instruments. 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 And so what they did was they actually went to the rubbish dump, to the landfill, and found trash and fashioned and made instruments out of trash. Violins and cellos and trumpets. They made these things out of junk. And they formed an orchestra, and this orchestra has gone around the world. They just haven't been to CFC. That's why you don't know about them. But they've gone around the world, and they have made music out of rubbish. And, and what's so awesome is this beautiful quote that comes out of the school. Actually, it's a quote by Fabio Chavez. And it says this. It says, the world, or he says, the world sends us garbage. We send back music. The world sends us garbage, we send back music. So this is what I'd like you to do. I want you to have a look at the screens just for two minutes. There's a, a short little video I want you to watch that is going to give you a really good idea of this landfill harmonic orchestra. Thanks so much, guys. What do you think of that? To take trash, what the world considers to be trash, and to turn it into something as beautiful as that, into music. I mean, that story sounds a little similar to me concerning you and I, don't you think? I want to read you a poem or recite a poem. I'll try my best. 
It's called The Old Violin, and it's written by Myra Brooks Welsh. It goes like this. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste such time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, then two. Only two, three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room, far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow, then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as caroling angels sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with a bow. A thousand dollars, and who'll make it two? Two thousand, and who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried, we just don't understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered with bourbon and gin, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A message of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that it wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Isn't that a beautiful poem? Don't you think that just depicts and reminds us about what Jesus has done? He came and took us off the rubbish dump, turned us into beautiful instruments that changed the world. And that's the message. That's the message. And you know, nobody understands that better than the Apostle Paul. He was a piece of tin lying on a garbage heap, if I could say it like that. And God saw him and took him and fashioned him into a violin. And he changed the world. Apostle Paul understood what it was like to be nothing, thinking he was everything, if I could just add that little tidbit in there. He thought that he was the bee's knees, but he had a passion. And his passion even lived before he was saved. He had a passion to ta uh, for the law and he had a passion to kill Christians or to persecute Christians because he found it to be blasphemous, blasphemous, the idea that they could even consider a relationship with God without being Jewish, firstly, or secondly, carrying out their traditions. And God came in and made a huge change in Paul's life. And so this is my prayer for the message tonight, which is titled, The Passion of Paul. My prayer is that I pray that we possess the passion of the Apostle Paul to reach people for Christ. And Father, as we hear about Paul and the change that you made in his life, where he acknowledges himself, his desire to spread the message because of what you did in his life. In the same way, Father, thank you for igniting and creating a passion in our hearts tonight for you to share the word. Help us to rely on you. Help us to be aware of opportunity. Give us a boldness that perhaps we've been lacking. Give us a passion 
that we've been lacking, Father, that we may bear fruit for you, passion fruit, Father. <laughs> we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We were talking about passion fruit, weren't we, Pastor Simon? <laughs> Anyhow, so I wanna read my core uh, foundational scriptures coming out of the first Corinthians chapter nine, verses 19 to 23. I'm gonna read from the message translation. We're gonna look at, at Paul and we're gonna experience his passion. I'm gonna show you a couple of things concerning that. So it starts by saying, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone that I have volunteered, of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life, I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant that there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into, into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. So that's a, a letter written by Paul and, and this depicts his passion for the lost. He wanted, to, he wanted to be in on it, he says, and, and there are a number of things that he's uh, uh, told us in the scripture in order to get the message out. And so I wanna say that Paul's passion did six things, six things in his life. Six things that happened in his life according to this passage of scripture. And so I want us to focus on those for a moment. The first thing is Paul's passion changed him. It says here, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all. So what he is saying is that he can do anything that he wants to. He wasn't bound by anything. He was free, he says. I basically have no boundaries or restrictions, but I have voluntarily become a servant. I have on purpose, intentionally, put other people first instead of myself. This is a message about the passion of Paul who carries the passion of Christ. And the only way that this passion came is because of what the word did in his own life. The first thing is that it changed him. Listen, family, it's not natural to serve others. It's natural to be served. That's what's natural. We're born selfish. And if you don't think that you're selfish, the next time that you're in a group picture, let me ask you a question. The first time you see the picture, who's the first person you look for? And if it's a good picture, you'll say, wow, that is a great photograph, guys. Thanks so much, guys, great photo. But if it's not a good photo because of the person that you look for first, what do you say? Hey, 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 come back, guys, come back. No, that was not a good photo. Come on, man, we can do better and you'll retake the photograph. It's unnatural for us to put others first, but it is so Christ-like. In fact, Philippians chapter two, verses one to eight, Paul shares with us how Christ-like it is. 
He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, this is Christ-like. To put others first, it's a Christ-like nature and we have to have the same mind as Jesus. Look at what it says in verse six. It says, who being in very nature God. So he was God is what Paul is saying. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, so he did come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, what is Paul saying? He's saying, don't put your life first. If you want to share the message, if you wanna share the gospel, it's gonna require you not to put yourself first. That was the first thing that he learned. His passion taught him that. The second thing that his passion taught him was that his passion included everyone. He said, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose living, immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, and he ends by saying, whoever. It included everybody, Paul's passion. The Apostle Paul has service with a purpose. He served others seeing the big picture, and that's the, that's the important key right here. He served others seeing the big picture. It sounds a lot like Jesus. For God so loved the world, he saw the big picture that he gave his only son. Paul understood all too well that it, what it was like to be comfortable around the people that you're comfortable with. It's so easy for us to go through life just being in our little uh, circle and, and in the comfort zone of our lives to, to remain there. The point is we are in church tonight and this is where we should be because how would you know about these things if you did not come, right? Does the Bible not say, how will they hear the message if no one goes to tell them? So it's important for us to come to, to church. It's very important. There's, there's something that happens here as we serve God together. We come into his presence together. But our lives should not just be limited to this. It included everyone. He had a purpose for serving. Everybody, I wanna tell you, everybody is somebody that Jesus died for, everybody. And I had the stock, I, I had to be reminded of this just recently. I saw a photograph on, on uh, uh, social media where a politician in South Africa was being prayed for. Hands were laid on him. And my first reaction when I saw this photograph was, ah, that's rubbish. Honestly. And I'm like, everyone Jesus died for. Every single person. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to uh, confess this after me. Say this, say, God loves me. 
Say this, say, or at least look at your neighbor. Okay, is everybody looking at a neighbor? Now I want you to say this to your neighbor. Say, God loves you. Now say this, say, God loves people I don't know. Say this, say, God loves people I don't like. He does, he loves people that we don't like. God loves people that are not like us. And sometimes it's uncomfortable for us to to have to deal with people that are not like us. It's so much easier for me just to be with people that are like me. But that's not where the passion should be driving us. The question, or let me say this to you. God doesn't change us so that he can accept us. He accepts us so that he can change us. I think we should give God a hand, just like those violins, that that rubbish on the rubbish dump. He accepts us so that he can change us. He doesn't wait for us to change first. The question we should be asking ourselves is, am I going to connect with them? Or am I going to correct them? You're gonna have to make a decision because you can't do both. And if you say, you know what, I'm not really sure what I want to do. Well, let me tell you that most Christians prefer correcting. Most Christians feel that that that's their spiritual gift, you know, is to correct people. And I love the story of the prodigal son. Such a powerful story and it's, it's rescued me so many times where you see the thing is when when people are away from God and they're thinking about coming back to God, they don't come to him with a good self-image. The prodigal had already lowered his status when he came to his senses, the Bible tells us, with his father. He was very aware of what he had done. He didn't need anybody to point that out to him. He was completely aware of what he had done. And so he, he thought to himself, he reasoned within himself And for him, the only way that he could come back to the father was to lower himself. He must have thought to himself, I'm not gonna come back to my father as a son. I'll come back to him as a servant because he realized, listen, even his servants are treated better than what I am. But he had already created, he had that mindset inside of himself. He had decided that there was no ways that he would be accepted by the father as a son anymore because of what he had done. But he knew that maybe his dad would accept him as a servant. He'd come to his father and say, dad, just give me a bunkhouse in the barn and I'll be happy. When people don't know God or are away from God, there is a tendency, and Matt Dazel spoke about that this morning, there is a tendency for them to begin to put put how they think God would see them through their eyes. Have you ever done that before? You've imagined God to see you the way that you feel about yourself? And so you respond accordingly, which is exactly what we heard this morning. Who was in the services this morning? Let me see, is that right? So much of it has to do with the way that we see ourselves and what happens in our, in our heads. And this is what was taking place with the, with the prodigal son. And of course, we know that the exact opposite, isn't that just the truth about the lies? The exact opposite happens when he returns. He is received with an embrace by his father. He's kissed in the neck. He's celebrated. He's given a coat and the signet ring of his father. And a makulu party is arranged with a makulu 
uh, uh, sheep that is slaughtered for him. Major celebration. And even the son is amazed at the love of his father. He wasn't expecting that. The brother, the brother's ticked. He goes to church every Sunday. He's that good guy. He's basically saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I do all that I'm supposed to. I serve, I tithe, I I sacrifice, and the list of things that I do for my father in his house goes on and on. There's just not enough time to get through everything. And it seems to me that my father thinks that my brother should be let back into the family. And isn't it amazing that the brother that stayed at home with his dad every day never knew the heart of his own father. I'm telling you tonight that you can be as religious and you can be as busy doing all of these things and never know the heart of the father. What is his heart? His heart is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. We have to get a hold of that scripture. For God so loved the world. The third thing that happened to Paul as a result of his passion is his passion established his identity. Uh, He said in, in Corinthians, as we read, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. I like that. He said, I want to reach them. I want to connect with them. He said, I don't, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. Here's what I want you to know. You don't have to be like them to reach them, but you have to like them to reach them. We are salt and we are light. The last time I looked, the world, they use salt and they use light. They need both. Our mandate is to be what the world needs, but we don't have to lose our identity to carry that out. When I was in the army, I'm telling you, God must have given some sort of divine revelation to every one of my superior, to most of my superior officers, my my staff sergeants and the captains and whoever it is that I worked with, in Kimberley especially. He must have opened his eyes uh, or their eyes so that they could see that I was divinely placed in their life because they used to always refer to me as Soti. Some of you are gonna get that, others are not going to get that. The fourth thing that happened in Paul's life, the fourth thing that changed him as a result of his passion is it challenged him to enter their world and out of his own comfort zone. He said, but I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. You're gonna have to really grab a hold of this and experience things from their point of view. Of you, He tried, he says he tried. In other words, he pushed himself. It wasn't something that naturally came to him. He had to decide to do that. And so when we know who we are, then we need to discover who they are. Paul said he didn't lose his bearings. He didn't lose his identity. I know who I am. I'm a Christ follower. I could try to experience things from their point of view and he could only do this when he was secure in his own identity. So we need to be secure in our own identity before we embark on this passion that I believe God is instilling in our hearts to spread the word. You have to be secure in your own identity and this is something that he had learned. The fifth thing that Paul learned as a result of his passion was that it helped him to be creative. Can you say creative? 
He had to be creative. In other words, he is saying, well, first he said, I've become just about every sort of servant that there is in my attempts to lead those that I meet into a God-saved life. In other words, he looked at people and he wondered, what can I do to add value into somebody's life? He had to learn to be creative. Something I like that John Maxwell said is when he was asked about creative people, his answer was that they asked him, you know, what is the... What do you find the most common thing in creative people? And this was his answer. There is always an answer. Creative people, there's always an answer for creative people. Is that true? Can I have an amen from the creative people here in this room tonight? There's always an answer. Now, I'll be honest with you, I admire creative people. I don't think that I'm very creative. But I admire creative people from media to music and arts to acting, from design to decorative, from comedy to commentating. I admire those things. I love creativity. And, and I look at people. I, I mean, my wife is creative. She can take a simple idea and she can make it spectacular. Like our supper, for example. I mean, we could have fish and chips, but my wife would present it in a way that we were dining out. That's what she does. That's, that's an element of creativity, and I like that. I admire that. And you know what the first verse in the Bible says? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, God is a creator, and he formed us in his image, so we are creative too. So I'm creative. Sometimes we don't see ourselves that way. Well, I admitted to you openly that I'm not creative, but the truth is I am creative. There are a couple of things that I've done that, that I feel are creative. So it may not be with dinner and stuff, but I get creative. Hey, babe. Okay. Um, where was I now? Oh, Lord, bring me back on track. Bring me back on track. So God is a creator and he formed us in his image, so we are creators. Just recently in our groups, we ran a wonderful curriculum called RPM. How many of you did the RPM curriculum? Uh, reach people movement. Come, let me see your hands. Those of you at home, let me see your hands. Okay, the reach people movement. What I like so much about this curriculum were the simple ideas that people shared on how to reach their communities. So I encourage you to become part of a group. Get, get involved with groups. This was a great curriculum. You, you'll be amazed at the kind of stuff people do that reaches people's lives. I mean, we saw an incredible demonstration of that. But I mean, we've done all sorts of things here at the church and we've run curriculums, we teach you, we train you. Um, but I encourage you to get, be, be involved with groups because not only through groups will you have the opportunities to reach people, but you'll learn how to get creative in doing so. The sick thing about Paul's passion is that it allowed him to love and live out the message. He says this in Corinthians 9, he says, I did all this because of the message. I didn't just wanna talk about it, I wanted to be in on it. He wanted to be a part of it. Before I came into the ministry, I was a project manager involved in implementing warehouse management systems into big warehouses. And um, my boss was a, an atheist, a very proud atheist. And uh, he was, I mean, he was a, a big man and, and he was also a, a, um, a town councillor for one of the big political parties. And him and I would often in our project office, and there were many of us in this office, we would often, often, often we would get into debates or arguments or uh, discussions about Christianity. He knew I was a born again Christian and he'd, he'd like to tug on some strings, like one of those violins, you know. 
And uh, the one day, and this went on for months. We worked together for, for quite a few years. And uh, the one day we were in one of these arguments again and, you know, he was trying to prove his point and so on. And, and frankly, I was a little tired of, of doing this because it was working on my nerves a tad. So I looked at him and I said to him, Alan, from there you know his name's Alan. I said to him, Alan, let's stop the conversation right here. These things never go anywhere. And I was never able to reach him in all of our conversations and debates. As important as those things are, I was never able to reach him. But I said to him, Alan, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home. I'm talking to my boss here. I did it with, I was, I was diplomatic. I did it with respect. I said, I want you to go home and this is what I want you to do. I'm gonna challenge you right now. I can't do this anymore. You go home, you make sure you're alone. You go into your room, but you make sure that you are alone. You go into your room and you close the door and you go and you can kneel by your bed, you can sit on your bum or on the bed or whatever, it doesn't matter. Position's not important. But I want you, I'm challenging you to call out to Jesus and ask Him to come into your life. Surrender your life to Jesus. Make sure you're alone. I so believed in this message, I knew that if Alan were to do that, God would come into his heart. I knew it would happen. I was convinced of that. And um, I don't know if you ever took me up on the challenge, but I knew that the seed that I'd sown, anyone who does that, Jesus is going to respond to that call. I can tell you now for nothing. He's gonna to respond to that call. One particular time uh, in, after this had happened, we were busy implementing a WMS, the warehouse management system in, in uh, one, of our, uh, one of the companies. They were running SAP. And um, we had, uh, th that company had uh, just recently employed a, an IT manager who was really the devil incarnate. And, um, and he was against, he was a, a SAP champion. He didn't like the WMS at all. And his, his name, <laughs> his name was Paul. So he had a passion of his own and that was to see our project not be a success. And so he kicked against everything we tried to do and meetings we tried to have and so on. Anyhow, one day I, um, I couldn't because I was the project manager. We weren't getting anywhere because he would never meet with us and he was so negative and it was just, it, 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 it was very unpleasant. And so even Alan, my boss, could see that we were getting nowhere and we were going there very quickly. And so one day I went to the Lord and I prayed and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, please move in Paul's heart. Please change his heart. We can't keep working like this. We need this Paul to be fixed. So can you help here, please, Lord? I was desperate. Anyhow, it was about a week later, Paul's whole attitude changed around. I didn't witness to him. I didn't give him the gospel. I just prayed that there would be a change in his heart. And there was to the point where Alan could see, listen, things are different here. And in one particular discussion we had in the office, Alan said to me, you know, we brought up Paul and the fact that he's working so well together. He'd, he'd metamorphosed. He'd gone from a, a sap caterpillar into a WMS butterfly. There was this incredible tra transformation that happened. And he was talking to me about it. And I said to him, Alan, you know why he's changed. Alan looked at me and said, no, why? He said, because I prayed and I asked God to change his heart. We can't keep working like this. And Alan just sat there and he looked at me. Just for a moment, he said nothing. He just looked at me. And then he said, I hope you're not praying those prayers about me. And I know that it, it comes across as humorous, you know, but he was very serious when he said that to me. He wasn't joking. He was like, for a moment, he was like, whoa, dude, easy. Uh, and so he could recognize that God was real. It was just his stubbornness that, that I think was preventing, but perhaps now he's already submitted his life to the Lord. I believe that that, that is what has happened. But let me give you a quote from a man named Jay John, who is part of this uh, RPM 
uh, curriculum that we ran. He says this, if we want to share the gospel with confidence, we have to have confidence in the gospel. So how, So maybe that's your area, that's your challenge tonight. Maybe you're sitting here, you don't have confidence in the gospel. You love God, you worship God, but you don't have confidence in being able to, and I, I, to speak to people, to witness to them, to confront them, or to, to answer them on questions that they may have. So you'd rather just keep quiet because you don't have that confidence. That could be you tonight. You'll be surprised how many Christians lack confidence in the gospel because they don't have the right training. We can fix that here at Christian Family Church. I've already spoken about groups, but it would be a miss of me, not to mention another great training ground, Bible College. On, on Thursday night, our first years finished their, they finished their year, Thursday night. Do we have any first years here tonight? Oh, come on, I'm sure there are more first years here than that. Okay, <laughs> oops. Um, anyhow, they were all here this morning. But the point is, on Thursday night, I spoke to a couple who just finished third year. They're active in the church here. They're fairly new in the church, I think, as well. And I asked them, how did they feel about you know, first year, what was the experience like? And they said to me, Paul, and they shared a little bit about the mountains that they'd faced in their lives, and they were mountains, Goliaths of note. And they said to me, they said, you know what? Bible, it's been amazing. And I asked them, well, what, do you guys you think you'll do second year? And they said, what do you mean do you think we'll do second year? That's not a question that should be asked. Of course we're gonna do second year. And they said, Paul, this just being on first year has helped us in our lives. We wouldn't be if it wasn't for Bible college. It's helped us in our marriage. And I had to internally chuckle because we don't even deal with marriage on the first year. It's not a subject, but it's changed them because they've been exposed to the Word. There's been training that has been given to them and there is a change that they have seen in their lives. And so I'm encouraging you, if that's what you lack, then make a plan. But there is a passion that God expects from us. It's the same kind of passion that He has towards us and He wants us to. Let me finish by saying it like this. Just like we saw what the world considered to be useless, when it was put in the hands of the master, he turns it into something beautiful. That's God's desire, is for us to have a passion to see the world changed. We just need to have passion, like Apostle Paul, and get the message out. God will make the music happen. He doesn't change us so that he can accept us. He accepts us so that he can change us. This is my prayer is that God would begin to infuse us with a passion to spread His Word, not to keep the gospel to ourselves, just focus on our own growth. And even with the training that we provide, the idea is not for you to grow, to remain isolated. You need to bear fruit. I believe I, I mentioned that a few times last weekend in the morning. God is into fruit bearing. He's into increase. He wants to see you grow so that you can bear fruit. And the only way that we can give God thanks, I believe, other than our worship, is to take people with us to heaven. And the only way that's going to happen is if we are passionate about the Word of God. So tonight, I wanna invite you, if there's anybody here, 
Philippians 3.10, we're gonna pray with you in a moment. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says this. I'm not quick enough here. So, oh, here it is. I am quick. Wow, that's cool. This is what it says in Philippians 3.10. He says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply acquainted with him. His desire was to know God, and this is where the passion grew. And so if you are here tonight, I'm gonna invite the pastors to come to the front and the leaders, and you desire passion for the gospel. All it takes, we just wanna be in agreement with you. That's that, it's that straightforward. So come to the front pastors. They're passionate, the leaders. They're passionate about the word. They're passionate about the, the message. They're passionate about reaching people for, for Jesus. If you just feel like there's a bit of passion lacking, I need some passion fruit, then I'm gonna invite you to come to the front. Just let the pastors lay hands and you will stand in agreement with you. And I believe that there is a, uh, there is a, a transfer that'll happen. So right now I'm inviting you if, you, if you feel like there's a passion lacking in my life, please come to the front. Let the pastors just lay hands on you and let's allow that transfer to take place. The band, you guys can come and play for us. Praise the Lord. So the pastors, thank you for laying hands on those folks that are coming to the front. We trust God is gonna put a passion in your heart. Passion for His Word, passion to reach the lost. In Jesus' name. Praise the Father. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here tonight. Thank you, Father, that you don't leave it up to us. We don't witness alone. We just tell people about you and you do the rest, Father. Thank you that tonight, as we've heard just how Apostle Paul, all the things that he did to get the message out, he was intentional about what he did. He understood that he needed to get out of his comfort zone. He understood that he needed to, to look at ways to reach people passion that he had for the message to be spread is what drove him. So I thank you tonight that people have had an encounter with you. And as a result of that, fire has been ignited in our hearts or reignited. And we're just mindful, Father. This is the thing is that we walk past so many people. There's so many missed opportunities that it's become normal for us to miss opportunities. So we pray, Father, we, we don't wanna write letters from prison, but help us just to talk to that person at Checkers and Pick and Pay. Help us to talk to that person at the office. When we go to those Christmas lunches, those year-end functions, we're sitting talking to our colleagues, Open a moment for us, we pray, Father. Open a moment for us. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father. The same thing you did for Paul, you'll do for us. We receive that in the name of Jesus. With your, You may be seated. I wanna ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. It's just so important for us to allow folks that are here tonight who are unsure of their salvation who are not sure about their relationship with Jesus. We do this every single service at Christian Family Church because 
That's our mandate. God says that we should spread the gospel to all the earth. And Jesus said, how will they know? How will people know if they have not heard? And so if you're here tonight and you've heard that there is a Jesus and you've heard that, that he died on the cross and, and that, that God desires to take you from the, the rubbish heap, from the landfill and to turn you into something beautiful, he sent Jesus so that that can happen. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here tonight and you feel like, listen, I wanna be turned into that violin. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna have a relationship with Him. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. If you're here and you've been, you've, you've been a Christian before, or you've had a relationship with God before, and, and that's come to an end, or there's been a wedge between you and God, and it's just grown over the years, and, and you've just sort of allowed that, and tonight as you've been in the service, you've been reminded that, listen, I, I, I may be doing some things uh, that the Bible tells me to do, but I know that my relationship with God is not where be, then I want you to also raise your hand tonight. And just like we heard with the prodigal son, the father, listen, God is not, I mean, he's just as the way that the prodigal son was received by his father. He was loved and kissed and celebrated. That's what God is wanting to do tonight with you. And the third, uh, uh, the third question that I have for you is if you were to die tonight, if you were to die tomorrow, do you know where you'll spend eternity? You may be the fittest person in the room. We are not guaranteed of when that day will come. No one knows. Now, I'm not speaking negatively over your life. I just want to speak a little bit of reality into your life. No one knows when their last breath will be taken. And so you want to make sure that you know where you're going to go if that were to happen. And so um, the invitation is to those that want to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. If you want to come back to the Father, like the prodigal son, you want to be sure of your salvation at the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you for those hands at the back. Thank you so much for those hands. Keep your hands raised, please. Thank you for your hand, ma'am. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm letting you know tonight you're going to be making the greatest mistake if you leave. You're not sure of your salvation. If there's anybody else, you can raise your hand. God is knocking at the door of your heart and that knock is going. Your heart is pumping big time in your chest. That's the Lord standing there saying, tonight is the night. I know your future and I know that you need to receive me right now. If there's anyone else, you need to raise your hand right now, please. Anyone else? If there's not a leader by you right now, so we have leaders that have gone to all of those folks that have raised their hands. If there's no one standing with you and you've raised your hand, could you just raise it again? We just wanna see it clearly so that we can send someone to you. Just to stand there and, and to just support you, okay? Praise the Lord. Well, I'm gonna ask everybody, those of you online, in, in, uh, in the family room, in the mother's rooms, all of you that have raised your hand, that are wanting to make that, that decision right now, I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer, actually. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm gonna ask for the benefit of those that raise their hands for everybody to repeat this prayer with me. Right now, let's pray. Let's say, Dear Heavenly Father, Tonight, I've heard about Jesus and I'll surrender my life to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you that He went to hell in my place and that He has risen from the dead. I believe that. I confess it with my mouth. And I believe because I have done this, 
right now, I have become a child of God, accepted into your family. My life is your life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.